Oh, I forgot to put ice in that tea. Whew. It's hot. Hot in the hot tub. You know what movie I haven't seen in a long time? It's Hot Tub Time Machine. Is that movie bad? I can't answer that question for you. I feel like that's a <laughs> kind of a personal moment there, you know? Okay. I mean, you know, I like, I'm, I'm okay with bad movies. I, I enjoy movies that are bad sometimes, but mm-hmm. I enjoy bad movies. You enjoy bad movies. You can't prove otherwise. No, I, I wouldn't try to claim otherwise. <laughs> I think, I think it's like with so many other things, it's an inverted bell curve. There's, yeah. There are good movies that you enjoy, and there are movies that are so bad that they're enjoyable. It's like in the middle at the bottom where you don't want to be. Three hundred and thirty-six episodes of We Were Gamers. The inverted bell curve. Does that? overtake our title no but probably not uh but because some of my notes <laughs> overlap with this i've started the episode let's do it i have an inv- inverted bell curve movie for you michael okay uh spirited on apple i feel which, like i've heard of this which end of the inverted bell curve <laughs> uh the uncanny valley end i don't know whatever <laughs> Whatever whatever gets you halfway through the movie to be like, is this real? Are they pulling my leg? Are they going to change this movie halfway through into something else? Uh, I don't want to say too much about it because I enjoyed not knowing about it going in, but it's Ryan Reynolds and Will Ferrell doing a Christmas film. Oh, yes. Yes, oh. I have I have seen Got the it. ad for this one. I think I know what this movie is. Okay. I thought I could guess what it was, and uh, my non-trailer watching, um, I don't know, what do you call it? <laughs> my, uh, you didn't see the trailer, and My thus. high ground, my high ground that I'm willing to stand on, on not watching trailers, uh, kept me from knowing the type of movie it was specifically, and that was ah. actually a nice surprise. Gotcha. Yeah. I can see how that would be fun. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway, it was bad, but it was also fun. You know? Are, cool. are we going to transition for a moment to, speaking of, to RIPD2? I haven't watched it yet, but... Oh, I haven't either. Oh, okay. Yeah, either. So, no, well, I, have other, I have other TV. I mean, like, if you want to... I, I watched some movies this weekend. Yeah, uh, uh, wife and I both watched uh, watched both of the Enola Holmes movies. Those I are like extremely all right. I yeah. liked the first one. Okay. Yeah. Hey, guess what? The second one is more of that. Okay. It's just extremely all right, in my opinion. It's totally fine. Yep. Uh, Michael, I have a question for you about a thing that is TV right. related. Yeah, hit me with it. Uh, Rings of Power. Yeah. Why on earth did they start where they started in the story? <laughs> I don't understand. They did. You know, they pulled a Lord of the Rings in Lord of the Rings and they were like, long ago, this interesting part of the story happened. We'll flash back to it later. A lot. But instead, <laughs> let's just skip it. 
Yeah, I it didn't bother me too much. Um I think in part because maybe it was my experience of reading the Silmarillion, but the farther because the Silmarillion is is chronological, right? It starts way back and comes pretty far forward. And the the farther forward it came, the more interesting I found it because it got less and less like a history book. Ah, we uh, have so remember that for our next topic. Oh, OK. Um, to me, like them not starting all the way back was a good thing because my like my personal only experience with with that far back in the timeline was super dry. It just, I think also like sorry. No, go. The, go, go. the Silmarillion story has no narrative, really. Is that it is true? A Maybe book, it, right? Yeah, it's a history book, at least until the last like three chapters. Yeah, so like it makes sense to hew closer to the areas where there is some narrative continuity to glom sure. onto, if yes. that's what they're trying to do here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, if it even is, I guess I don't know. I haven't seen the show yet. Yeah, yeah, um, I think so. It's it's definitely seems to have tried to focus on an area where characters were defined. Um, but I thought it was strange because they, they talk about Morgoth and Sauron and how they're related a little bit. Um, but they're like, and the elves left Valinar and they fought Morgoth and they won. Uh, it killed a lot of them, but they won. And now Sauron's the bad guy. It's like, okay. Okay, got it. Okay, so we're still doing we're doing Sauron again. Got it. Okay, but we want to skip all the good stuff before there, which gives us the info about the elves. Got it. Uh, and then again, this is the first time. You know, it's yeah. Lord of the Rings was doing it again. Yeah. No, I know. And then, uh, then I've only we've only watched a little bit, Michael. But I'm left with a strange feeling that like I don't know how you get to the Lord of the Rings um, that people know. When everyone kind of just doesn't care about Sauron anymore, when every single person in this show is just like, Sauron is the biggest evil to ever walk the land, and all evil will be coming to kill us at all times, and we've remembered for a thousand years all the betrayals of Morgoth. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, then uh, what happened between now and then? So some of of that... uh... I don't want to give away where I think the story might be going in later seasons. Isn't it um, limited? I, I think it's limited to two seasons. Is it just two? I well, think it's, so. so it's it is something that they might do in the second oh, season. Never mind. I was that has I, happened in the first. I was remembering um, Andor is planned for two seasons, and Rings of Power is planned for five. Oh, okay. Do they have enough money to make five seasons of the show? I mean, they're moving from New Zealand to England to try and f- save some cash. This is what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's going to be a lot more sound staging going forward, I think. Yeah. But, you know, it's a news story to say you spent a billion dollars on a show, right? That's I don't true. Know. I don't know. Anyway, I didn't hate it. Uh, I just was like kind of taken aback by it. Uh, it was very much, like you said, history to begin with. Uh, which is also how I felt about House of the Dragon, which we have completed, JJ. Oh, yeah. I felt like I watched a textbook for half of it. No, it has those vibes, for sure. 
right? Yeah. Because, like, you're learning the backstory about all, everything that's going on here, and then you, like, get to the end and be like, why did it end right before the good stuff? Why did it end <laughs> before... Why did it end with all the actors being the right ages for a continuous story that seems to have been set up to have taken place? Yeah. Not yeah. wrong. Very strange. I... I stick by my comment to you in text message that said, I really wish they had just told me when things were happening because there were multiple scenes where it was like, I just don't just tell me how old this kid is, you know? Yeah. To the, the, to the show's credit, they wanted to do like, you know, to not like cut to black and be like four years later which is a thing that I think a lot of people just go like, all right, F this show when you do those kinds of things. Um, but yeah, it definitely makes it very confusing when like there's a six month time jump and you don't realize because it's like, Oh wait, are these people not here? Why are we talking about them? Like they're not here. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, that was my real comment. I think that shows well produced uh, and the acting is good. I have the same problem with it as watching things like the crown where it's like rich people's problems, yo. I don't. There's I mean, really the, there's they're lacking the uh, the Starks, right? The like, where's the people? Where's this? You know? Yeah. The uh, it, you know, it's like which group of rich jerks are you gonna side with? Yeah. And it's like, mm, can I can I pick a non jerk side? No, everyone is a jerk. That's not an option. Okay. Yeah. You don't get to choose. The Iron Throne chooses you. King is still my favorite actor, I think. That's true. Uh, he did it. Viserys did a great job. I mean, he he really won that show, right? I mean, yep. having to pr- play a version of Leprosy for every episode, changing your you know personality even a little bit. And it was just amazing. It's good. Uh, Andor, I mentioned it. It is complete for this season and uh safe to watch now that it is complete since those things come in three episode chunks right yeah Yeah, what good what a way to run a show to just decide to make three episode arcs that are little movies Uh, if you liked rogue one you'll like it it was. It felt like it was made for me. I don't have anything else to say about it unless you want to, because I don't want to spoil anything. So, yeah, it's it's high up on our list of stuff to start watching. I would say probably next in line. I'm guessing. Yeah, nice. we uh, we're halfway through. Oh boy, <laughs> it's interesting because it's one of those shows that just like Rings of Power and even House of the Dragon. Um. I mean, even this one is even smaller, right? Like Rings of Power and House of the Dragon. There's tons of stuff you may not know, even if you've read the books or whatever, or you may have forgotten or they could change because they can. Uh, There's really no text before Andor. I mean, I'm sure there's some books that that Ken is screaming about um, that explain things that Andor has done. But like as far as filmic text goes, there's a movie and you know what happens. We we know the end here, right? And you know this right. gets to the movie at some point, uh, in the next twelve episodes. So it's a real roller coaster of like, w- what happens to all these people, and how do they get? You know, 
Like, where does it all connect? So, Andrew, hold on. Uh, Would you say that it avoids the problem that Obi-Wan Kenobi had where you're like, this is a middle chapter no one needed to hear? Uh, I guess it's not a middle chapter. I have a problem with this, which is I feel like it was made for me. And that's a problem? Yeah, because I can't be a fair judge of if anyone needed to hear it because I really liked hearing it. Um, okay, it's more of a the show. You don't feel that the show has a problem when you no, know because the outcome you, of the if, show, right? If if you like me don't particularly have a ton of time for reading every material that comes out about everything, um, and I unfortunately have not prioritized looking in to see if there are other materials about Cassian Andor, which I may now. Um, it, okay, if you if you thought of him in Rogue One. You'd say like, well, he clearly is like a, been a freedom fighter forever. But we jump into this show and it's like, uh, this is five years before Rogue One and he's not a rebel. So what's going on? You know? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah. And it's the Gilroys who helped write Rogue One. So it's all pretty dang consistent uh, instead of kind of shoehorned. I don't want to make it sound like I'm against the show. I haven't seen it yet. I don't. Oh, I don't. Know. I've, heard, I've heard really only glowing praise. Really, I think I don't think I've, I've heard anyone say anything bad about it. So I, I'm just curious because that was something I felt about Obi Wan Kenobi, where like I had no, I, I was never concerned about what was going to happen in any of the episodes because I knew the outcome. Right. The the thing the really cool thing about it is, that I'm sure there are tiny little things in there. But 98% of it, you're not like feeling like you missed something because you haven't watched the Clone Wars. Okay. That's the See, really that's important unique. to me personally. It's the really unique thing about this series versus all the recent series is just like, hey, this is related to Rogue One because there's a character in it. Watch a show that is just its own thing. So okay. there you go. Yeah. All right. Uh,. I switched service. I'm not going to say who I switched to. Uh, but I will say I switched from AT&T. I didn't know they could do this. But when you transfer your phone number away from AT&T, I got an sure. email from my bank that said, AT&T contacted us and told us your phone number is no longer in service. Your account has been restricted until you correct this error. That feels like an automated system set up to catch people trying to like scam them somehow. It didn't seem very nice. I don't want to. I don't. I don't want to come off defending AT and T here. I'm not. But there's no way like a person is like sitting there looking at like a, a, a dashboard of numbers and goes, "This person transferred it." Bam! Notify the bank. Like that's <laughs> not how it not works. Until, not until Elon bought his AT and T. Oh man, uh, I don't know about. I don't know about wading into that argument, but he certainly picked a fight today, huh? Yeah. I mean, uh, we'll just see how that goes for phones. him. Speaking of phones. <laughs> bold yeah. strategy, Cotton. Let's take yeah. the iPhone and pit it versus Twitter. Who will win? I don't know. Go ask Epic Games. Perhaps the, perhaps the company who makes the thing that runs Twitter, mostly? Perhaps mm. they would be more likely to win? I don't know, yeah. though. You know, Elon claims yeah. to care. Ask Amazon how making your own phone went. 
or you know blackberry or nokia or those are still companies they don't make phones though (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of people on there that really support this decision much more than i would have expected uh maybe the population of twitter has kind of changed i think you know a lot of people have bad ideas so it's okay and all those people have been let back onto twitter I think that's as deep as we need to get into that. Yeah, we can leave it. We can leave it there. Speaking of the simulation, no notes. <laughs> uh, we can talk about simulations of our own. We promised it. We're delivering twenty-two episode minutes into an episode. <laughs> right on time for us. Yeah, yeah. Well, there was TV to talk about. I wanted to blast AT and T for something that wasn't their fault. Apparently, I'll probably cut that out of the episode and leave no, this part should, so people no, people know that something happened. But they don't. anyway, also, it probably is their fault. Like, you know. Well, I mean, it was transferred to live service. It's not out. Of, they know it's not out of service. Emulators. This is a follow up conversation to a previous episode. I don't remember the number. We didn't even talk about what to do if you get rid of most of your games, right? I mean, they just can't keep it all anymore. What do you do if you want to go play everything on the SNES that you got rid of or the NES or the Nintendo 64 or heck the entire PlayStation thing? There's a bazillion options and we hadn't talked about any of them. So let's do it because I'm curious to know more. I'm going to play a role here today, which is the fool. I'm going to pretend I know nothing about emulation. Okay. Classes in session? I don't know. Is it a, a component class emulators? Nah. Nah. I don't know okay. that it's component class. Well, anyway. All right. So, we solved last time to keep only the things that uh, give you joy, uh, Marie Kondo style. Not to worry about if you um, own a game and not the system because it can just be a piece on your shelf and that's okay. Let's say you don't have an analog device, analog the company, not analog signal, uh, which is an easy version of emulation, right? I mean, it's kind of emulation. It can run emulation, right? If you just put an SD card in it. Okay. Yep, yep. But you want to play the NES, the SNES, something along the way. Uh, I've heard about plenty of other little machines, you know, like Raspberry Pis or Misters or other stuff like that. Or heck, I've got a PC sitting here. JJ, what's your go-to when you're like, I would love to pull up uh, Suicode N1 and don't have my PlayStation plugged in? So specifically, because we're talking about PlayStation games, the answer is uh, emulator on my PC. Not because I deeply think the emulation is great or anything, um, but because if you had said a different console, I would have answered differently, probably. <laughs> um, but yeah, for, for PlayStation 1 emulation, uh, PC is kind of the place. I don't know of, although I guess they did sell some of those mini PlayStation devices, and I'm sure that you can run other PlayStation emulators on little devices like those. 
but I haven't attempted to do that. I'm sure there's also modded PlayStation ones out there. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, and like sure. PlayStation ones, I think by and large haven't failed at a high rate. And so you could just use one if you had one. Right. Yeah. Well, like you need, I mean, so my new TV, which is something that is worth discussing in this discussion has no port for that to work. You're going to have to find a way to get it on there. So I think the PS1 came with component cables. No more component cables, buddy. Uh, HDMI the, only. Or PCs uh, or TVs are all that don't have component anymore. I haven't like, paid attention to that in a long I time. I think the yeah. only uh, legacy connection is that coaxial antenna signal area. Oof. Because you can still be... get over-the-air digital TV. Yeah, okay. So that's going to be problematic. Um, converting component to HDMI requires a separate box, and I don't know that anyone wants to deal with that generally. Um, so if you're talking about emulation, then really th there's kinds of like two separate classes of emulation that really you want to talk about. And, you know, like I said, the answer changes depending on, you know, what you have access to and like, like what your specific desires really are. And there's the like boxes that are little computers that emulate various consoles. And then there's like just software, right? That you would and run the, on a laptop or something or whatever. Or yeah. Anywhere. Yeah. Anywhere because you can run that software on those little boxes even, right? Depending on what <laughs> the box is. Yeah. And so, you know, the, Really, the question comes down to, are you getting something, are, are you doing this emulation via hardware, or are you doing this emulation via software? If you get something like an analog NT, or the various other things that have, like, maybe you've heard the word FPGA before, uh, oh, Mister yeah. is one of these, uh, something like that. These are hardware emulation. They have... Uh, cores that can be loaded on them that configure this FPGA, which is just a fancy word for a reconfigurable chip, to make that chip act like the hardware in whatever thing it's emulating, right? At which point, it is effectively the thing. You have turned this little box into a Super Nintendo or a Sega Genesis or whatever. And, you know, then, you know, those little chips have limitations that like, you know, maybe you can't fit an N64 on this one where you could fit it on that other one. You know, there's a whole host of problems related to that stuff, or maybe they don't make cores of that type for this particular box or, you know, that's whole, that's a whole class of emulation stuff, right? Emulating the hardware, at which point then, you know, you load up your, uh, either you plug the cart in if that's possible or you load up the ROM files or whatever of the various games you want to play and then there you go you're playing it effectively on what amounts to the hardware pretty much right yeah yeah, yeah. and and those this is what the what I'm pretending uh, those are they, they're not solid right if you buy one box and you tell it the FPGA is a Game Boy you can't then reboot it and make it a Genesis Uh, you can, but it depends on what the device is and like what access to it you have. Right. By nature, an FPGA is intended to be reconfigurable. So you can change the nature of what that thing is. 
So you the could caveat being with, that. Use, with an FPGA, if someone has enough uh, experience having written codes and stuff for it, uh, have all the devices that it can run uh, in one box instead of having multiple boxes, like the SNES. Yes. And so the analog NT and the analog uh, um, whatever the SNES one, right? Um, Mini or whatever it is. Uh, do you, they ha- they have them as separate boxes because they have the hardware cart tray, but you could, if you had an FPGA box like those are, just run both things on one. Uh, probably not at the same time, right? There would be like some process of requiring you to switch back and forth between those cores to like you know apply anyway, and like you'd have to reboot and stuff like that. But effectively, yes, I. I it, the 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 physical hardware there should be capable of doing both. The question is whether you know who made those cores and like the company that's selling you the box probably prefers you buy the other box. Oh yeah, <laughs> right. They want you to buy the Sega Genesis box. They want you to buy the Nintendo box. They want you to buy the SNES box. You know, <laughs> like that's what they want you to do. Mm-hmm. Versus uh, a software solution where they don't really care what hardware you're running on. They're just trying to let you play the game. Right, sure. So, you know, and uh, I will say, you know, the the hardware solution has a lot of benefits, right? Because then you are really playing the game as it was uh, or, you know, as close to as it was as really you can realistically get. You know, well, it's going to output, you know, these boxes are going to output HDMI (laughs) because they want you to connect them to a TV, right? Yeah. So it's not going to be exactly the same, maybe. Because you're not outputting to CRT like it would have been, but you know the the hardware is producing the same signals, and they're just sending it to some stuff to actually get it on a TV so you can see it for real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that is to say, if you really are obsessed about that stuff, you can get you know. Well, I don't want to output it to that. I want to output it to a CRT. I want to find a box like the mister that allows you to configure all this, all these things to give me the real CRT output. So I can output it to some fancy machine or do something like that to display it on a projector or whatever other kinds of crazy stuff you want to do. Like that's the nice thing about those boxes is they're typically very, uh, the mister specifically is like extremely configurable. It's written by a large group of people and not controlled by a specific company so that you have, you know, a lot of options. The downside of all that is that having a lot of options means there's a ton of configuration work you have to do. <laughs> this will be a theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm, as I'm sure Michael knows, I'm guessing all of us here probably really don't have as much experience on this side of things as we do with the like software emulation side, right? I think it's more yeah. common for sure. So I think the the extent of my of my hardware is just adding. Uh, adding games to the uh, SNES Classic. Oh, that's your that's your hardware experience. Yeah, well, this is kind of the same rough experience though as like if taking a uh, one of those ROM carts and trying to plug it into like a DS or something like that. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, and then you know I'm sure Michael knows that you know when you add the games, like not every game works on there, right? Yeah, it's true. Some of them, some of them partially work. Um, some of them won't just won't boot up at all. Uh, it's it's kind of hit or miss. Uh, I think the 
the dedicated hardware, like the the stuff that Nintendo puts out, tends to work a little better with the the software copies of their games. But especially when you start getting into purely software solutions, yeah, you find a lot of uh, a lot of cases where certain games are just unsupported. And that really dives into like when you're looking at a an emulator, specifically like a software emulator. What is because like Michael said, sometimes stuff just doesn't work. You don't know. A lot of these um, emulators will have websites and wikis and things like that that you can go research. Like, oh, this is the game I re- want to play here. Is it supported? All that kind of stuff. But like, really, the thing comes down to it's a trade off between accuracy versus performance. And all the all the software emulators make this trade off, right? It's like, how accurate do I want it to be to the point where I can run every game perfectly as it was on the Super Nintendo or whatever, versus I want to be able to like run good on on modern computers <laughs> or like on low spec computers, on phones, on you know pieces of hardware like the SNES Classic or whatever, right? And you got to make those trade-offs because, you know, if you want to be perfect, that needs a beefy computer, surprisingly. Even today, like, you're not going to run this on a laptop or you're going to scorch someone's legs by doing it, right? <laughs> and, and so, you know... And oh, why, why... I Just as a question, though, why at this point for running, like, a SNES Classic on a, on a computer, why is it so difficult still? So I mean, I, I think, I've got, I don't know, 120 gigabytes of RAM. I've got a computer that can crunch video in like no time flat. Why, why would it still eat so much memory and, and all that? So the real answer is that the most accurate emulators, right? Um, if you're talking about stuff like uh, what used to be IGAN and is now, I think, called Ares. Um, those emulators really strive for perfection. And that means they're emulating every clock tick of every CPU. They're emulating the memory inside the the console. They're emulating the sound chips. They're emulating all of that within software and having them communicate with each other as they did in the original system. Mm -hmm. And doing all of that is a lot of work. (laughs) And because those chips all ran at different speeds and all had their own sorts of systems lined up together to make them work. Your hardware has to be exponentially more powerful than those systems in order to fully emulate them via software. Which is why, like I said, the trade-off comes in like performance, right? Okay, well, I don't have a dual core four gigahertz CPU here. <laughs> I don't want and like, you know, seven gigs of RAM or what it's not that much, but you know, I have this giant GPU. Can I use that? And the answer is no, <laughs> because that's not how these games are made. You know, they use like tiny, tiny, tiny amounts of of memory, like G- what would we would think of as GPU memory. And they use lots and lots of what effectively was the CPU. And so if you're having, you know, if you have an accurate emulator, you cannot do that that way. However, people are smart. <laughs> And hardware doesn't work like this anymore. And you do have 12 gigabytes of RAM and a GPU that can process things at the speed of light. And so you can make a trade-off there. You say, well, we won't work exactly the way this did. 
in the past. We know better or we can do other things to produce the same effect. Right? Sure. And, and this is comes in, like, if you ever uh, fooling around in emulator menus, you may see uh, terms like HLE versus LLE. No. Nope. High level high-level emulation versus low-level emulation, this is what we're talking about here. High-level emulation is give me the same output at the end. I don't care how it works. Low-level emulation is do all the steps underneath. I want it to be perfect or closer. Mm. And so, you know, the, you can't, everything in emulation is a trade-off between these two things. It's like, well, I want it to be able to run on a laptop from 10 years ago <laughs> or... Which, by the way, is still vastly more powerful than like the SNES, right? Right. Or I want it to actually do what the SNES did perfectly, and therefore it will run every game by virtue of it being perfectly. What well, the it sounds was. to me like an FPGA would be easier. So, uh, what what is the ad- advantage of software emulation? I mean, Michael, you've done a good amount of dolphin work. Uh, how? I mean, do you find it real easy to just boot into something, or is it as tinkery as it sounds? Well, so D- Dolphin's one I actually haven't used much. Um, oh, but uh, it were you, using, you were using something to do DS. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, so the one that I used was um, was well, it was originally called uh, it's No and then dollar sign GBA. Okay. And then there was an overlay on that for the NDS. I have been using the GB operator a little bit, which is a cartridge dumping machine, but it also comes with MGBA, I think, built into it. Okay. I don't know. Um, I mean, there's just yeah, not, these things. Also not one I'm familiar with, but yeah, there are lots of them. Uh, and I think it it really depends on what you're trying to run the the ease of setup so for instance i have used um snes 9x for years and it's one that just works out of the box you you load it up and you boot up a file and it just if the file is supported it just runs Uh, and you can tinker with it a little bit but there's there's not much need to if all you want to do is boot something up and start playing it um, the NDS one, by contrast, took a lot of fiddling with a lot of different settings um, to get it to to get it stable in the first place, and then once it was stable, to adjust it for the edge cases that a lot of games presented. So you'd have to go in and tweak a setting to get a certain game to not crash after the the title screen, kind of thing. I yeah. think it's worth pointing out that uh, SNES 9X is an emulator that does not strive for accuracy That's whatsoever. It, and well, that, what are they the, doing then? Well, the benefit there is they're making it easy to use, right? You you just turn it on and it's going to work. And if what you so like this is why I think it's important to like have the discussion about the trade off because if what you want is to play the game. Maybe you don't care. Right? Like, how does it matter that it's accurate to what was happening before? You get to play the game. Well, when we say accurate, we got to clarify here. 
you may or may not then get the same exact reaction from a Mario jump, right? The jump may not feel the same as it did before. Or are you just talking about, oh, it's like not doesn't have the scan lines or let's be more clear well, so yeah, for, I, I about think what we mean by accurate. But it could be both, right? Because the jump in Mario, you know, depending on which Mario we're talking about, also accounts for some amount of like input lag from the controller to the game, right? Mm-hmm. And like broadly speaking, using an emulator on a PC, almost all emulators have figured this out to the point where like Mario is going to work. Don't worry about it. Like, just play Mario. It'll be fine. But if what you, you know, when I'm talking about accuracy here, I mean, like, doing exactly what the SNES was doing or doing exactly what the PlayStation 1 or Saturn or whatever was doing, right? Like, it can play everything, right? There are no compatibility problems because it is the same thing. And that's just, like, really hard to do and like Michael said, make easy. SNES 9X and like other emulators that focus on accessibility, I would say Dolphin is a great example of this also, have made it to the point where like their compatibility is so good and so easy because they have focused on abstracting away all this stuff that 98% of people don't care about. And because if because people just want to play the game, right? If you, I just want to boot up Chrono Trigger and go through the game, Use whatever emulator you can get your hands on and just do it. It'll be fine. Like, that's one of the <laughs> most popular games on the planet. It will work. You want to play yeah. Super Mario World? It's going to work. You want to play Super Mario Brothers on an NES emulator? It will work. Trust me. Like, that's the one they tested first. <laughs> but yeah. if you want to play, like, Doki Doki Panic in Japanese or, like, some obscure game that never came out in the U.S. that no one has heard of, now you have a problem, right? Because maybe that game is not supported by popular emulators and these approaches don't work anymore. What is the advantage then to keeping around your stuff versus this, right? Like if you have something obscure, you best keep all your hardware or get, get something that emulates the hardware perfectly like a, an analog or no, it's really about knowing what you what you want to accomplish right like the the emulator scene is wide enough and scary enough when you just hear about one thing in it like a mister and like well it can do pretty much anything you want it to do except this 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 and this and if you want it to look like this then you have to do that and if you want to install where where's the don't panic button for the for those of us looking to wonder about the new world of trying to own less and do more i think specifically the mister if you're talking about the mister in specific uh you don't get a don't panic button over there that pl- <laughs> that that is the land of the dragons you have sailed off the edge <laughs> of the map uh, uh yeah, it's a uh, return to valar right there you know i don't know what the light is yeah the the tree is over there you can go visit it in valinor or whatever if you want right like but yeah no it's that's off the map uh because that stuff was built as a reaction to all these other things and people you know 
people wanting it to be open, wanting it to be changeable, wanting it to be modifiable. And the more you allow that modification stuff, the more fiddly little details populate the thing. Yeah. It also then allows it to do exactly what you want because if you can make all those changes, right? You just have to be willing to make that stuff. Now, for like 98% of people, you don't care. Go find a good emulator. <laughs> it doesn't matter. Go Google it. Well, here's, I'm sure here's, you can find one. And just, here's where just use it. It'll be fine. Michael, Michael, how did you, when you were like, I want to play this game, I can't buy it, or it doesn't work on any of the systems I have, or whatever, the first thing was that you said, I got to get an emulator to do this. What What was your... I don't know that we need to point people to a specific place or whatever, but like, what was your inclination in order for, for looking that stuff up? Was it Google? Was it, Oh no, it's, it's all over on these Reddit pages. Was it calling somebody? How to, how do you know even where to go? Because there's going to be, if I type in N64 emulator into Google, there's going to be 65 million YouTube videos and pages uh, to go to. Yeah, so let me see if it uh, if it even still exists because I haven't visited it in so long, and then I can tell you uh, I can tell you what I used to use. Oh yeah, it's still there. So I used to use a site called EMU Paradise, <laughs> um, and it it has it has basically everything you could want for uh, for emulation, um, and it's a it's a good way to get. Started um, with getting emulators, the right emulator that you want up and running. Uh, and then I think they also have uh, like for community forums for people to post questions about like, how do I get X game running on this emulator? Um, which is really helpful because depending, you know, like we were talking about, depending on the emulator and the game, they might not always... Um, they might not always play well together and it's going to take some work on your end to get them up and running. Now I um, recall things like, what was it? Retro arch or one of the ones that took a bunch of emulators and put them under one roof. Is that a thing that people should look into instead of, I mean, yes, I, I mean that versus uh, go get a, um, a raspberry Pi or, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, I don't, Michael, have you used RetroArch ever? I have not, but I know a lot of people do. So RetroArch in specific is a umbrella for emulators, effectively. Uh, I think it started in Linux, which is why it's Arch, Arch Linux, I think. Someone can correct me on that. Uh, the The idea is like it's a, uh, not quite a front end, but it's a system for plugging various emulators in to run kind of whatever you want. And RetroArch supports like a billion game platforms. You can download RetroArch on Steam. <laughs> like <laughs> and all a bunch of the emulators and stuff are there. It has a front end, you can just use it that way. Like that's how they are trying to make it accessible. Now, does RetroArch still also have a bunch of fiddly options? Yes. But by and large uh, each of the emulators that you would use for RetroArch have little steps that tell you here's what you should do, how to set them up, you know, do that sort of stuff. Always with the caveat, of course, that they don't ever provide you the games, which is no. the whole yeah, thing. Yeah, we're not going to talk about get, that on this end. Y'all provide your own games. Y'all figure it out. I'm sure y'all yeah. are smart enough. I, I dump my They do tell you how GPA to configure carts. it. And, 
and how to set it up and do that kind of stuff. Do you think Rich Orch runs on a Steam Deck? Uh, it's you can just download it from Steam. It absolutely would run on a Steam Deck. I don't know yeah. why it wouldn't. But how... I think you can run that thing on a phone. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. So I know I know of RetroArch because it is a favorite among Twitch streamers. Oh really? Yeah. And the emulators that work inside it, because it can like you can switch the emulators out. It's it can cover a lot of things. And it has, like, if you decide that for whatever reason that, it, you know, the emulator you've been using isn't compatible with the game you want to play or whatever, there are other emulators you can plug into RetroArch from outside that maybe do cover what you need. Hmm. Man, RetroArch seems to be the answer, huh? It's definitely one of the most popular ones, and I think it's a great place for people to start. I wouldn't say, like immediately jump in to the deep end and like open all the menus and try to configure everything. <laughs> um, but you know, it, it, but if you do want to do that and you do want to set all those settings and look through that stuff, it's there for you. And there are probably a thousand YouTube videos uh, and guides for how to set that stuff up and like go to the websites for the emulators. Like those are the places that you can find, like Michael said, forums and people that work on these things, wikis stuff that tells you like, Hey, you know, we made this thing. This is what we think you should do with it. You know, rather than just some putts on YouTube telling you what to do. That's true. Uh, avoid putzes like us on YouTube that don't know what we're doing. <laughs> I, I just mean like, you know, I, I worry, I don't know, maybe this is an irrational fear, but like I worry that like things that I see in a YouTube video are out of date because they updated the thing like five times since that video came out and now it doesn't make any more sense. Right. Oh, sure. Yeah. Especially for like popular emulators that are under heavy development. Like, yeah, you got to be careful of that stuff. That's true. Yeah. And they're always updating, right? You know. Or there's ones like SNES 9X that haven't been updated in like 20 years and are still just fine. Yeah. Because they (laughs) because they don't need to be. I mean, they got it. They got a stable build that runs basically all the games. It's not like they're making new games that they have to adapt for. Eventually, um. Eventually, you have to change it because the things running it are not going to. Well, sure, you, know. you have to update it for new environments, but that's that's a lot less. The pace that those come out is a lot less than. Uh, than things that are under more heavy development. True, true. Like emulators that are under more heavy development. Yeah, the and then the other like important factor to consider here is like some things don't emulate good because the emulators software for them hasn't caught up to that hardware if you want to go emulate like an xbox 360 i'm not going to tell you there isn't an emulator for that because there is but i don't know that that's the one you want to go start off with you know like i don't know that that emulation is great yet that's probably glitchy yeah and or you know like there's a there's a ps3 emulator i know i've used it uh is it good hmm it works. It does. It does successfully emulate. And I was able to play the game on my PC and it ran. Now, I don't know that it's worth that. Right. And, and you know, the, the, the state of the emulation the, is progressing, though. And in maybe five years or 10 years, it will be good. Right. I think, though, in, when you run into the PS3 and the Xbox 360 era, 
you're running into the things where it's like, is it worth emulating it? Because you might be able to just download it for pretty cheap on the console that still exists, right? Like PlayStation three games, you can get pretty dang cheaply for the PlayStation five. Assuming the game was popular enough to get put out again. Uh, yeah, you've got, which is always the caveat, right? Yeah, you're right. Uh, Assuming the game even still exists, right? There's, famous games on the ps4 that you can't get anymore because absolutely you know or they were removed from the store or whatever else yeah interesting well you know i think that like that that is the perfect case right there for emulation right like this is a game that was out for a little while stopped working because they stopped supporting it or the company didn't want you to have it but people on the internet are very smart and will will preserve things you know whether you want them to or not in some cases and you know, that this is what emulators allow you to do. You want to go play a game that came out 40 years ago in Japan that none of us have ever heard of? Mm-hmm. You can. Yeah. There's, I mean, there's the Video Game History Foundation out there doing exactly that of like, hey, um, all this stuff's going to disappear eventually. You know, like game guides and magazines and and games themselves are going to disappear eventually if we're not trying to keep digital archives of these things. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, you know, folks, if you have a, that's a worthy cause right there, in my opinion. I think so. And there's a bunch of people doing it. Uh, I don't mean to only talk about that one. Uh, that one's a good one, though. I I know. Yeah, it leaves you thinking. Okay, well, this is doable. Uh, you know, like a thing like Retro Arch is out there, and they they try to make it usable for you. So why, you know? Why not try it, maybe, versus uh, sitting back and trying to buy expensive stuff to do the same thing, you know, if you've got a big expensive PC, um, or buying cheap stuff and then being fiddly with it. What, in the last few minutes, I, I know there's a big community around these little devices, like Raspberry Pis running RetroArch. Why do that instead of port it over? Why run a mister? I mean, the answer is because people like it, right? People want to do that. They want to be able to play it on their TV instead of their computer monitor or their laptop or their phone. Mm. Where are you landing on all this, Michael? You know, I have, uh, if I had more time, I feel like I would, I would play around with some of the newer stuff. Um, some of the like hardware that you have used for pulling games off your old carts or, uh, something like RetroArch that is an umbrella that will catch a lot of different systems altogether because I, you know, the stuff that I have is all disparate. Um, but I, I just haven't had the time to really dive into anything more than, than what I've already got. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, modern games keep you busy. I'm at 266 hours. And I have an announcement. All of the traveler stories that I can do are done. Hey, welcome to the club. (laughs) My God. (laughs) The longer you let it go, the taller that mountain gets, JJ. You assume that I care about climbing that mountain, and I do not. That's true. Yeah. You could always just blast a hole through it. Sweet, hey, sweet uh, 
Hey, uh, Fior is like level 95 and I just finished her story. Nice. At least you well, did it before the points didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was my main thing is I wanted to do the, at least the silvers before the guidestones became useless. Yeah, but, there's less of a there's less of a return after that point. Although you could always just shard them. You could shard them. It just seems like a lot of work for shards versus work for preventing you to have to do other work. I don't know. It was a big checklist item that was in front of my face, and now I can just go beat Monaris today. Or should I bleep that word out because that's a spoiler? Nah, you're fine. No one knows what we're talking about, so it's fine. Yeah, we didn't say it's, it's already it's already old content. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Um, boy, I don't know. I feel like we just barely scratched the surface of what's interesting about emulators, but I haven't gotten my butt into a chair to sit with them versus sitting with my collection and deciding between the emulators and the cartridges that are sitting here, right? Like the cartridges are now worth so much money. And really, do I have time to play them versus what JJ and Michael, you guys helped me decide, which was don't I just want to just be able to get into a game one time randomly once in a while? And does that require holding on to a analog NT and, uh, you know, all the games on cart? Hey, but uh, I really know. do want to emphasize like the more things like there, some of these emulators like really don't have to be fiddly. You can just turn them on, load the game, and it works. Like, it will just do that. But if you want to go down that rabbit hole, there are places, and that rabbit hole goes a lot of places. <laughs> and if you want to, you know, take a look. Yeah. I think it's a pretty safe rabbit hole. Oh, yeah. You know, it's just a... As a person who works with software, I, I know... And like it starts feeling like work the farther down there I go. And I'm oh. like, no, I'm good. I don't need to see this. I, I know what happens down here. That's funny. Yeah. Good point. I, I would su- I would suggest if you're if you're interested in getting into emulation, especially like software emu- emulation, have a starting point. Like have a game that you want to play to dip your toes into it and then work to get that game up and running. And It'll take care of a lot of the issues that you will face generally getting games up and running. And then from there, as you expand, you can learn how to make small tweaks to get the things that are problematic working as well. Yeah, that's a totally great idea, Michael, because like you say, a lot of emulators are very good. And, you know, get the game working, play the game. And your experience using the emulator will teach you more about what you need to do in the future if you want to do more. You guys really just saved me from a rabbit hole because I was sitting here thinking about like, okay, if I wanted to try out an emulator and I wanted to like get dump my SNES carts or whatever and then try out an emulator, well, I don't have the right controller. Okay, where's the Bluetooth version of the Super Nintendo controller? How do I hook that up to the retro, retro arch? And I was like, what? Why am I headed down that rabbit hole already when I haven't even started up an emulator yet? Yeah, and like these emulators are meant to be used with 
tons of the software ones are meant to be used with large ranges of controllers. You probably already have a controller hooked up to that PC. Don't go get sure some do. other kind of weird kind of controller. Use that one, man. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, just get it working and you will see what's available, right? And if you decide this is enough and you're playing the game and you're happy, great. And if you're not happy, well, then you get to start going down these various, you know, roads. Yeah. So like SNES 9X, to give you an example, Andy, if you go into the one of the options menus, it is a it's button mapping and it literally just shows you a picture of the SNES controller and you can hit any button either on your keyboard, on your mouse or on a controller and it'll map to what that SNES button is supposed to be. That would be really, really important for whether or not I can get RetroArch onto my Steam Deck and doing stuff like this. Because maybe I don't even need that analog pocket. RetroArch is a native Steam application. You could just go get it on Steam. I know, but the kid can so it, it supports, do that? Run the cores, Steam input. I know, but can it run the cores into it and put the ROMs on it without something along the way failing to work? Oh, I don't know about the the ROMs and stuff. I'm not sure how that part would work. Definitely, you can run the cores because, I mean, it's a Steam app. You can just run it from Steam. Mm-hmm. But all the like all the emulator plugins and stuff that are supported on Steam are just like DLCs for the free RetroArch thing. Yeah, I might really actually have to uh, look down into that rabbit hole before starting. But oh. text me if you have questions. <laughs> I guess I don't have the Steam Deck. I don't have the Steam Deck answers, but I have email us if you have answers. questions, right? Oh, email yeah. us questions. Email us if you have answers. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's the real. <laughs> so but, there you go. Yeah. There you go, Michael. Send those to, send those to podcast at webergamers.com. We would love to know how, uh, how to do this stuff because none of us are experts. <laughs> Might you say we would be very interested? Uh, yeah. Well, we didn't even talk about the accuracy. Uh, yep. And if you want to know what that's about, <laughs> you can also email us in the podcast at Weaver Gamers. Uh, and, you know, find us on social media at Weaver Gamers on all the places. Uh, YouTube, especially, check us out there. Uh, follows in our, our channel and hit that bell and all that stuff is all very helpful to us. Awesome. It's more cool. food for thought, dudes. Thank you so much. Oh yeah, it's it's fun. Like if you if you enjoy tinkering around with things to get them running just the way you want, which I know you do. Um uh, it's it can be frustrating, but it's also it's really satisfying when everything just clicks and it starts working. The real the even... real dilemma is the idea of no longer running the carts or having the hardware to run carts and then just being completely beholden to software and like the you know like do you need an analog pocket? I I mean no nobody needs an analog pocket but can I set it aside and and leave it behind? Is it good enough to not plug that cart in? I don't know. That's a personal question, but I'm gonna have to try to know. You know. And like one thing we didn't mention is that, you know, like emulators also have the capability to let you go beyond what was possible on the original hardware. Oh, sure. You can I mean, you can run huge impossible. ROMs, right? You know, like 
right? ROMs that would have been, you know, impossible to fit on a cart or textures and packs and things like that that could never have been produced on the system that they were for. Do you want to play that game that used to run at maybe 10 frames at 60? You can do that probably. Uh, Or, you know, run 4K HD textures in a game that didn't support that. Uh, Emulators allow you to do stuff like that. Yeah. Or or ROM hacks, right? Do you want to play Link to the Past randomizer where all the chests are shuffled around? Do you want to play Link to the Past Metroid (laughs) randomizer that switches back and forth between Metroid and Link to the Past as you uncover things? I like watching people do that because that would drive me absolutely insane. Link to the Past randomizer is a lot of fun. I should play that again. I don't believe it. (laughs) By itself, it's not as bad as it sounds. Um, And you can set it to be nicer to you than maybe what the people on, on the streamers do. Yeah. Oh, that's true. You can set it so that you can't oopsie. Well, it it's always set so that you can't you can't get stuck. Gotcha. A lot of them are are these days, or at least that's what they what they strive for. Oh, okay. But they maybe like are nice about it as opposed to being jerks about it. Yeah, it might be the if you turn the difficulty all the way up, the solution might be super brutal. Like there's exactly one way forward. Yeah. So, have fun. Thanks. 